Southwest Church, located in the heart of Springboro, Ohio, at 150 Remick Boulevard, beside the Kaufman Family YMCA. Please visit our website at www.southwestchurch.org. Thank you for joining us for this week's message from Senior Minister Roger Hendricks. If you have your Bibles with you, if you could uh, turn over to the book of Acts, or if you have a a Bible app on a device, you could turn to Acts, okay? Uh, we're, We're going through this current message series entitled More, and we're talking about how can we uh, find our personal calling from God, and how can we live that more abundant life that is available in Jesus Christ. And, and during this series, we've been talking about how that God has a calling for each and every one of us. And uh, we're in the second half of this series, and we're really focusing on that unique calling that God has in each of our lives as he shaped us all differently through through our personalities, our abilities, our spiritual gifts, our experiences, how that God uses all those to shape us and mold us, and then that he wants us to use that in turn for him and to serve in his work. And uh, so last week, uh, and by the way, th- this is real important that as we talk about this, to realize, to not forget the first half of this series. Because in the first half, we, and this is a real profound thing that we want to make sure everybody gets in this series, is that, that as we desire to find our unique calling, that it's all based on our primary common calling, that we're all called to be followers of Jesus. And so the first or second week of this series, we talked about how that we're called to be disciples. We're called to be Jesus followers how that we're called to do what Jesus was all about, and that's to make disciples, to learn how we can influence others that they will follow Jesus as well. And then we talked about how that we're called to go and do that in our realm of influence. Now, based on that common calling, then we're, we're trying to say, okay, as we're serious about doing that, then what are the unique ways that God wants to, to work through us and uh, to, to see his unique calling happen in our life. Now, I think it's important because sometimes we jump ahead and we want to discover that unique calling, you know, but it can become very self-centered, like, God, I want to be used. How, how do you want to use me? And it's just about us. And it's got to be all based on, hey, I, I want to do that in the context of God's calling for the local church and to be a follower of Jesus and then build on that. So that's important. Well, we'll see in the, in the Bible, in the book of Acts, and by the way, I love the book of Acts because it's the history of the first 30 years of the Christian church. And so as we read about the different individuals of faith, we see initially they were called to community. They were called to, to be followers of Jesus. The church began in Jerusalem, and in Acts chapter 4, we read about this common calling lived out in the church. And let's read about that in Acts 4, verse 32. It says, all the believers were united in heart and mind, and they felt that what they owned was not their own, so they shared everything they had. The apostles testified powerfully to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and God's great blessing was upon them all. There were no needy people among them, 
because those who own land or houses would sell them and bring the money to the apostles to give to those in need. I love reading about the early church and what the church was like in its infancy. And, and, you know, unfortunately today, I think people have this view that church is boring or it's not exciting. But man, when you go back to the beginning and you see the, how the Christianity takes off, it was exciting. And, and there was this, this common unity all surrounding the, the, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. They were united in mind and thought. They were excited about following Jesus. They, they cared about each other. They, they even sold property to meet needs that they saw. I mean, it was just this, this vibrant, exciting fellowship of believers. It's, it's great to, to read about that. And yet we see that out of this common calling to follow Jesus and, and love God and love each other as they did in a very sacrificial way, and to, to live that out in where they became Christians, which was there in Jerusalem, we see that God begins to emerge certain individuals that use their gifts in a unique way to make a real difference in the life of the church. But again, it's important that we first answer that initial call to follow Jesus and to, to give ourselves to to grow spiritually and and give ourselves to spiritual disciplines and commitment to the church. Because if not, then we're not getting the proper foundation. You know, Jesus said that if we're faithful with little, that he'll give us more. We talked about that last week. And it's so important that we're faithful to that initial calling. And yet, as we see in the, the early churches, they began to be faithful, then God emerges them uh, in unique ways. Um, one example of that is the guy we're going to look at today, a guy named Barnabas. I think Barnabas is one of the heroes of the early church. He doesn't get mentioned as often as Peter or Paul or some of the other apostles that get more, uh, you know, more mentioned. But without Barnabas, the church wouldn't have flourished and grown, grew like it did. And so let's read a little bit about Barnabas, this, this son of encouragement, as he became known. We're, we're first introduced to him in Acts chapter 4. And let's read this. It says, for instance, there was Joseph, the one the apostles nicknamed Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. He sold a field he owned and brought the money to the apostles. In our church-wide small group, last week we were encouraged to prayerfully identify our unique identity and to fill in the blanks. In the workbook that, that we're using in our small group ministry, there was this two blanks that we're called to fill in. And it says, my unique identity, blank, and you were supposed to put your name, and you said, is a blank of Christ Jesus. And so we focused last week on, you know, which, which gift do you most resonate with? That being apostle, a prophet, uh, an evangelist, a teacher, a pastor. Which, which one do you most, or shepherd, which one do you most resonate with? And so we encourage people to fill in those blanks. Well, if Barnabas was doing this exercise, I believe that he would have said, Barnabas, an encourager of Christ Jesus. As we, as we get to know Barnabas, as we're introduced to him 
in scriptures, we see his spiritual DNA. He would have definitely, I, I think, gravitated toward that shepherd mentality of caring for others. He was so encouraging, he got a, a nickname for that. And in the book of Acts, we see that as he, as he leaned into his unique identity, as he lived in that sweet spot, as we've been talking about, that God used him over and over again in the 30, first 30 year history of the church to fulfill different missions at different points along the way. And we're going to be looking at four of those as his unique mission emerges as we keep reading in the book of Acts. Well, the next time that Barnabas is mentioned in the book of Acts is in Acts chapter 9. Now, if you're familiar with the book of Acts, there's something very significant that happens in Acts 9. And Barnabas answers the call once again to, to meet a need. Okay, in, in, in Acts chapter 9, this guy named Saul of Tarsus becomes a Christian. Now, that's significant because up to this point, Saul of Tarsus had been an enemy of the early church. At that point in his life, he would have viewed his mission in life is to stop the church. And so he was going around, he was, he was, he was you know, pestering Christians, he was even arresting Christians, putting them in jail. He was even consenting to the first Christian being uh, martyred, a guy named Stephen. And you can read about that in Acts 7. But then in Acts chapter 9, something significant happens. Paul has this personal encounter with the risen Jesus Christ, and he decides to become a follower of Jesus. Now, here's the, here's the tricky thing. He becomes a Christian. It's legit. It's, it's genuine. And yet the early church, they're not sure if they can trust this guy that now wants to come into their fellowship. I was trying to think of what would be a parallel today. And I thought, what if, what if there was somebody in this community that was a well-known extreme terrorist and they'd carried out terrorist activity. Uh, they were known to have a negative view toward Christians. Uh, they had, they'd even been outspoken in their opposition to churches and Christians. And if that person lived in this community and then all of a sudden, they became a Christian and they show up and, and they want to become part of our church. Would some of us feel a little bit hesitant to welcome them into our small group? Would some of us think, okay, have they really been converted or is this just a ploy to get in the church and create havoc? Well, that's exactly what was happening in that first century when Paul becomes a Christian and Barnabas steps up and he fulfills a mission of accepting Saul of Tarsus. Let's read about it in Acts 9, verse 26. When Saul arrived in Jerusalem, he tried to meet with the believers, but they were all afraid of him. They did not believe that he had truly become a believer. Then our guy Barnabas, the son of encouragement, brought him to the apostles. So Saul stayed with the apostles. You see, when there was those that were questioning and having a lack of trust, can we really trust Saul? Or has he just, you know, has he just changed his tactics and he's now a spy in our midst? Barnabas steps up and he says, as a son of encouragement, I've seen Saul talk about his faith. We can trust this guy. 
and he takes him to the apostles. He, he, he vouches for them and he utilizes his shepherding gifts to fill a void. We see here Barnabas truly is accepting Saul, this new Christian. You know, we might not have the encouraging shepherding gift that Barnabas has, but we're all called in Scripture to, all Christians are called to accept one another. We're called to accept one another if we have questionable backgrounds or a background different than our own. Or maybe even we have a current flaw in our life that we're struggling with. You know, we're called to accept one another. For example, this week, if you're a diehard Indian fan and you had trouble during the World Series, okay, with all the Cub fans, I want you to know I was rooting for the Cubs during the World Series. I'm not normally a Cubs fan, but I'm, I'm a National League guy, so I was rooting for the Cubs. And, and, and here's the thing. You got to accept me, okay, even if I rooted for a different team, okay, and I'll accept you. And by the way, I really, I, I, the last several years, every team I root for ends up losing, okay? So I, when I decided to start rooting for the Cubs, I pretty much thought for sure that meant the Indians were going to win. Um, but, but it was great. And, and I enjoyed the fact that the Cubs won and the team I was rooting for, I thought maybe that's how Ohio State fans feel a lot, okay? Um, but it was a strange experience for me. Now, on a more serious note, as we think about accepting others, accepting those that maybe have a different view from us. This week as a nation, we're going to be going to the polls to vote for our next president, future senators, Congress, people that will serve in Congress and local elected officials. In fact, as a church, we're gonna be hosting as uh, two or three uh, voting precincts will come and vote here in our building. And we think that's a great opportunity for us to reach out and serve the community. There's an opportunity out in, the, out in the lobby to sign up to either be a host and show hospitality or provide baked goods so that we can have refreshments for people. We think as a church that it's important for us to show love to our neighbors and to, to, to have a warm, welcoming, peaceful environment, showing Christ's love to everyone who comes into our building, even if maybe they vote different than you or me, or maybe, uh, you know, well, we don't know how most of us are going to vote, but just if they vote different than you, that we want to have that warm, welcoming atmosphere. You know, this is, uh, in the midst of this season, it's, it's been a controversial and at times a very divisive political climate. I recognize that. I think we all do. And as a church, we have an opportunity to demonstrate love and acceptance toward those who maybe view things differently than we do. As Tuesday approaches, I want to encourage you, if you haven't already voted, I know some of you voted early, to participate in the process, to prayerfully consider the various choices you'll be making when you step in the voting vote, to exercise your right and responsibility as a citizen of this country to vote. And yet on the weekend prior to our national election, I think it's important that we 
be reminded of a quote that I shared actually four years ago. It was a quote from a prominent church leader who lived 250 years ago in a different nation, a guy named John Wesley, as he was living in England. He was addressing what was then a a political divisive culture there in England, and this is what he wrote. He says, I met those of our society who had votes in the ensuing election, and I advised them three things. One, to vote without fee or reward for the person they judged most worthy. I want to encourage you to do that. Number two, to speak no evil of the person they voted against. And three, to take care their spirits were not sharpened against those that voted on the other side. I think those are wise words. I think that's a great perspective to have as a, as a follower of Jesus. And so this week, I wanna encourage us to be determined to be people of prayer for our nation, for upcoming election, for the Lord to guide each of us as we participate in the process to guide our nation. And yet, I wanna urge you to be determined to not sin by speaking evil or thinking ill will toward those who might view things differently than you or might view things differently from me. And I wanna encourage you to join me in praying that God will lead us as we all participate in that process and that God will lead our nation and to have confidence that God is ultimately in control and that God will work good even if the outcome of the election maybe isn't the way you would like it to be. That God has been at work throughout history and he will continue to be at work. And that is the confidence and the peace that I have in the midst of what can be kind of a turbulent climate. Now with that said, let's go back to the text. In Acts 9, verse 27, I love how the easy to read version says, but Barnabas accepted Saul and took him to the apostles. I love that Barnabas was willing to stand in the gap and vouch for Paul. I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but if there hadn't been a Barnabas, history might've been different. If there hadn't been a Barnabas to say, I believe in this guy, then maybe we wouldn't have all the letters in the New Testament that the Apostle Paul wrote. You see, Barnabas had an important mission, and that was to believe in this guy named Saul that later changed his name to Paul and that had such an influence in the early church. Now, not only did Barnabas utilize his unique identity as a son of encouragement to accept Paul, but but he also utilized that same identity to be nurturing to those that were new in their faith. As as we keep reading, that's our second observation, that Barnabas was nurturing. Now, as you keep reading the book of Acts, the good news of Jesus spreads. It began in Jerusalem, but it spreads to other cities. It even spreads to this city to the north called Antioch in, in the country of Syria. Now, we hear Syria a lot today in the news. I, I'm concerned about those that have faith in Jesus in Syria today. 
the apostles were concerned back 2,000 years ago. What's it gonna be like for those believers in Christ up in Syria? So they said, we need to send somebody that can go and nurture them and encourage them in their faith. And so they looked through the church and guess who they picked? Barnabas, son of encouragement. And let's read about it in Acts 11, verse 22. It says, when the church at Jerusalem heard what had happened, they sent Barnabas to Antioch and he encouraged the believers to stay true to the Lord. Barnabas was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and strong in faith. And many people were brought to the Lord. Then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. When he, when he found him, he brought him back to Antioch. It was at Antioch that the believers were first called Christians. You see, when this young church needed some special encouragement, Barnabas accepted the call to fulfill that mission, to go up to Antioch and to speak encouragement to them. But Barnabas understood that also this was a, this was a key city, that from this city, uh, uh, it could become a mission post where churches could be planted throughout the known world. And so, so Barnabas says, okay, you know, I can encourage them, I can nurture them, but you know that guy Saul, he's got some gifts that God can use in an amazing way. He's more of an entrepreneurial guy. He's a strong driver. So, so Barnabas goes to Tarsus, he gets Saul and he says, Saul, you need to come to Antioch and, and let's see what God wants to do through this young church. Well, well, Saul goes there and the church thrives and grows and more and more people become Jesus followers. I love the fact that, that Barnabas not only nurtured young Christians, but he nurtured the gifts that were in Saul, who later became known as Paul. Now, the other thing that happens here as we keep reading is we see Barnabas's incredible humility. As we keep reading in Acts chapter 13, there's something very significant that happens in, in, in Scripture You see, up to this point, Barnabas has kind of been the key guy. You know, it's Barnabas and Saul. Barnabas is leading the way. He's the one respected by the apostles. He's the one they sent up to Antioch to to nurture those young Christians. But what we see once again is that Barnabas, a son of encouragement, that's his identity. He fulfills another mission here of that of being supporting of others. In Acts 13, verse four, it says, so Barnabas and Saul were sent out by the Holy Spirit. They went out, went down to the seaport. This is from Antioch. So now they're sending them out on a missionary journey. And then sailed for the island of Cyprus. John Mark went with them as their assistant. If you skip on down to verse 13, it says, Paul and his companions then left Pathos by ship for Pamphylia, landing at the port town of Perga. There John Mark left them and returned to Jerusalem. I love this, this little excerpt in Scripture because something very, very profound happens here. Barnabas is the lead guy. It's Barnabas and Saul. But over time, as Saul grows and utilizes his gifts of leadership, Paul becomes the prominent leader. And it shifts from this point on in Scripture. It goes from Barnabas and Saul. Now it becomes, he takes on the, the, the Roman name Paul, Paul and Barnabas. Saul, Barnabas kind of goes into that supporting role. Leonard Bernstein, years ago, famous 
conductor of an orchestra, orchestras, he, he was asked one time, what's the most difficult instrument in all of the orchestra to play? He said, oh, that's easy. It's second fiddle. He said, we've got a lot of people that want to play first violin, but it's hard to find that person that's willing to play second violin and harmonize and support someone else taking the lead. You know, the same is true sometimes in the life of the church. Some of us have gifts to lead and pioneer new ministries, and that's great. And we're hoping during this series you discover that and that you you answer God's call in your life and step forward and maybe pioneer a new ministry here at Southwest. That's great. But some of you might say, well, I don't know if that's my gift, but I could come alongside and use the talents and gifts God's given me to support somebody else as they provide leadership. Well, if that's the case, then great. Then be a Barnabas to someone else who's a Paul. Come alongside them and support them so that that ministry can flourish and grow. You know, this week in our our workbooks, we're gonna be encouraging people to examine their natural talents, their abilities, their passions, uh, maybe even needs in the world they see or burdens that God's put on their heart and how that shapes them of how they can serve in a particular mission in life that you can say, that's what I'm called to do. That's my unique calling. I wanna serve God in this mission effort. I knew that we had a lot to do today, so, but I thought about inviting my friend, Jim Spicer, who served in ministry with churches for years, but now he's left the local church ministry, and now he works with this agency where they help find people that can be foster parents for children that are without parents. And Jim has embraced that because of how, just a burden that God's put on his heart, that he says, this is my mission now, is try to line up as many children that need good parents to be a foster parent. Maybe, maybe that's a mission for you. Uh, and if that's the case, then maybe you can relate to this last point we want to make of Barnabas, is that he was willing to foster, have that fostering attitude to help raise up and believe in people that needed somebody to believe in them. Let's read about that and how that plays out in our last reading here in Acts 15. It says, after some time, Paul said to Barnabas, let's go back and visit each city where we previously preached the word of the Lord to see how the new believers are doing. Barnabas agreed and wanted to take along John Mark, but Paul disagreed strongly since John Mark had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not continued with them in their work. Their disagreement was so sharp that they separated. Barnabas took John Mark with him and sailed for Cyprus. Now there's something very, very unique that happens here. Up until this time, Barnabas and, and, and Saul and Barnabas, Paul and Barnabas, they've worked together in great unity. Barnabas is willing to take the supporting role. Barnabas take, I mean, Paul takes the lead. But then it comes to this point where they're gonna go back out and encourage the churches that they've already started And Barnabas says, you know, that guy, John Mark, we read about him earlier. He started with us on our first missionary journey, but but he turned back and he went back home. I believe in John Mark. Let's bring him on this missionary journey. Now, I don't know, maybe Barnabas especially felt that need to foster 
faith in John Mark because we find another portion of scripture that they were actually cousins, okay? John Mark was Barnabas' cousins. Maybe that was why he, he wanted to give him a second chance. But, but Paul, he was the strong driver of the two, and he says, no, 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 he deserted us on that first missionary journey. We don't wanna take him. He, he would not be a good fit for this missionary team. And, and, and Barnabas says, no, 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 we need to give him a second chance. Now, I don't know why John Mark deserted him. Maybe he just got homesick. Maybe he was a mama's boy and he got out there on the mission trip, wanted to go back home. I don't know. Maybe he was upset because his cousin Barnabas was no longer the lead guy. I don't know why it was that John Mark went home from that first missionary journey. But Barnabas wants to foster in him a a second chance opportunity. He wants to come alongside him. Well, they have such a sharp disagreement that Barnabas and Paul as friends, part company. Now, I think it's important how they respond here. They didn't write up each other on social media, you know. They, 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 they both went out and did separate mission work for God. They kept doing God's work. They didn't let this distract them from doing what is right. Now, you might say, well, who was right? Was Paul right or was Barnabas right to give John Mark a second chance? Well, as you keep reading scripture, I think Barnabas was right that son of encouragement. And the reason why I think he was right is because in Paul's last letter in 2 Timothy, as Paul's waiting to be executed, Paul writes this in 2 Timothy 4, the last chapter, the last letter we have, he wrote. He says, Luke alone is with me. He's waiting to be executed. He says, get Mark and bring him with you for he is very useful to me for ministry. Paul says at the end here, I want John Mark to come. Mark, that same guy. You see, Barnabas had fostered in him a second chance opportunity and it made all the difference. And because of that, John Mark went on to fulfill his mission in life. He's the guy that wrote the gospel of Mark. Why? Because there was a Barnabas that believed in him. Aren't you grateful for the people that have believed in you, maybe when you didn't even believe in yourself? Maybe there's somebody in your life that needs somebody to believe in them so that they can be what God's called them to be. As we wrap up our time together, I hope you've been encouraged by this these stories of faith that are kind of undercurrents in Scripture, I am. I love reading about how God was at work in those early Christians' lives. But it inspires me to answer God's calling in my life, and I hope it inspires you to answer God's calling in your life. The Hebrew writer says that these people that have gone before, people like Paul and Barnabas, People in the Old Testament like Abraham and Moses, they're now a great cloud of witness. They're, they're in heaven cheering for us as we live out our faith on earth. And I think that should serve as encouragement to us to be faithful to God's calling in our lives. The Hebrew writer put it this way, Hebrews 12, therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, Let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, 
Let's run with perseverance, that calling that God's called us to in our life. But he says, as we do that, fix our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. You know, he, he describes here the Christian life as a marathon. He says, run your race. But he says, as you run that race, keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. I'm grateful for people that have believed in me. That's kept me going when I needed to be reminded to persevere. But what ultimately keeps me going when I feel like I'm growing a little weary is to remember how much I'm loved by God and how much Jesus demonstrated his love by by dying on the cross for me and for you. At times of weariness, at times of discouragement, at times where maybe we're questioning what is God's call in my life, let's keep looking to Jesus. He's the ultimate reason that motivates us to keep living out our faith. During this time of communion, let's fix our eyes on Him. Let's think about His love for us. And let's examine our own hearts and lives and say, am I living out what God's calling me to be? Or have I lost sight of God's calling in my life? Think about that. As we have this communion together. Let's pray together. Dear God, thank you. Thank you that you love us so much that you sent your son to this earth. Help us during this time of communion to fix our eyes on him. And help us, Father, to examine our own hearts and our own lives and ask ourselves, are we being what you've called us to be? Are we doing with our lives and our talents what you've called us to do? Help us do that self-examination during this time of communion. We ask that you really speak into this time and to each of our lives as we remember and fix our eyes on Jesus. It's in his name we pray.